0: good things don't normally come out of situations like this. You know, we don't really see your son improving. Uh, We can continue to try to do what we're, what we've been doing. Um, But you guys have to make a decision. Do, do we, do we trust Jesus in this moment and let him go, go home to him? Or do we continue to spin our wheels and, and, knowing that our son's in pain um you know it was it was just a a decision that i never thought in my entire life that we would have to talk about
1: welcome to the search podcast where we have conversations about the big questions of god and life Lane Larson and today I'm joined by a very special couple Cole and Lindsay Hicks. We're going to talk about their story and their son Walker's story. It's an amazing journey that they've been on in about the last year or so. So Cole and Lindsay, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here, Lamei. Well, uh, I'm excited to talk to y'all because you are, uh, you're, well, first of all, Cole, you're related to Paul Hicks, who's been part of our podcast in a number of, of ways. So you're Paul's son, Paul's our area director in in Houston, and so we're actually here recording at uh, your parents' house, right? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm Paul's middle son, um, three boys on the middle, and, and uh,
1: you know... Here we are. Yeah. We're doing it well. I wanted to ask y'all uh, to start with a little bit about your your stories. All right. So, Cole, I'll just I'll start with you because uh, before we get into what happened with Walker and what God did through him and is doing through your family right now, uh, I want to just talk a little about your backstory. So, uh, quickly though, but just tell us a little bit about kind of where you grew up. A little about your family and your just your religious journey up, uh, you know, growing up and through college.
0: Okay, so uh, grew up here in Sugarland, Texas. Um, parents lived in the same house for twenty six years, twenty seven years. Um, you know, having a father who was um, really grooming us to be men of Christ. Um, by saying that, he, he showed us what it looked like to be a Christ follower. Um, he's around in the mornings making us breakfast, doing devotionals with us, whether we were listening or not. And, uh, how often us, were you listening? Uh, I'd say probably <laughs> 60% of the time, yeah. Uh, but really just showed us what it was like to be a man, not just a man, a man of Christ, to be a, um, husband, what it looks like to be a father, and, um, uh, really just set the foundations and guidelines of, of what that looks like. And, and uh, really appreciate that. Um, not many people have that and, and feel very blessed and, and, um, you know, feel like I had a foot forward in life just, just because of that. Um, went to college at Stephen F. Austin and Nacogdoches, uh, played baseball there. My freshman year was red shirted, transferred to Wharton junior college, uh, played two years of baseball there. We're just built lifelong friendships there. And, and, uh, now I'm in a uh, full-time sales position with a uh, package, di- package and distribution company here in Stafford and uh, married to my beautiful wife, Lindsay.
1: <laughs> That's a great summary. So Lindsay, I'd ask you the same question. So where are you from, a little about your family, and a little about your religious journey mm-hmm. growing up?
2: So I also grew up in Sugarland, Texas, and I um, grew up in the church, but and my family um it was more of the approach of something that was presented to us but then it was our journey so um i learned predominantly f- when i was at church about um just the gospel and um the bible and so it wasn't until i i, w- I went to a private school that i really felt like i heard the gospel and that it spoke to me. And so I accepted Christ um, in sixth grade and I was kind of always the oddball. And so I felt like Christ was my closest friend and um, he just really um, grew me and shaped me into who I am. And I, through my challenges that I experienced that are normal to high schoolers and all that, I felt like he, along the way, was just um, teaching me and guiding me. And there was definitely times where I fell astray. There was times where I did the normal, stupid high school stuff. And there was times where I wanted to lead by example. And um, I wanted to play soccer in college, but that was taken from me when I tore my ACL. And um, I actually, I haven't talked about many with, with many people about this, but it's more of a, I guess something I've become more comfortable with, but I became depressed after that happened because I was like, something I love so much was just stripped from me. Why, why was that? And who am I now? Cause I found my identity in that. Um, and I wasn't that great after I it was maybe not the best before either, but I thought I was <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyways, so that's where the trajectory of just learning that the world doesn't revolve around me kind of, um, happened. So then I met Cole and um yeah, we I went off to Baylor and um just learned more about the heartache of just not getting my way. And so <laughs> um I think that just the Lord continued to grow me in that and um, just not always being um I guess getting things or life looking the way I pictured it to be. Um, but I also made some really great friends along the way that I'm still very close with. And then I, um, graduated with an education degree and became a, um, first grade teacher for a few years and then taught third. And now I'm home with my son.
1: Well, you mentioned you and Cole meeting. So how did you two me. Yes,
2: I was going to mention what is, that. What's the story? So I tell the oh, real story. Come on. Today. Yeah, no, no, no. well, this is the fight with every couple. <laughs>
1: yeah. I tell the real story Well,
2: <laughs> he doesn't paint a pretty picture. Hey, uh, Cole can
1: go first, and then you can correct him okay. and yes. give us the real okay. story. Okay. Yes. So we were
0: first. Lindsay says she saw me. I was working at Chick-fil-A or at Chili's or something, and she at first kind of noticed me, and she knew my younger brother. They went to high school together. And Lindsay had sent me a um, friend request on Facebook, and I hit her with the "Who's this?" (laughs) and which, you know, really kind of I don't know, rubbed her the wrong way or or whatever, because I literally had no idea who she was. (laughs) And um, but we have a mutual friend that that introduced us, and um, this was in December of. 2011, we got introduced and literally knew Lindsay for about two weeks. Um, could just see that she was just uh, one beautiful and phenomenal, you know, woman and someone I really wanted to get to know and knew each other for about two weeks and asked her to uh, go on a date with me. And, and now we're almost, we've been together for almost 11 years now, mm-hmm. which is pretty wild to think about. Mm-hmm. How close did he get?
2: I mean, he was pretty accurate. I think that time he um, was I was gracious, more gracious. <laughs> so he likes to usually tell people by starting with that I lied to him, which, you know, is true um, <laughs> because I was so embarrassed. So I never reached out to guys, but I just felt ballsy enough to do that for him. And then whenever he, I did go to school with his brother, so I knew his brother. So when he asked me, who's this? I was like, oh, I thought this was your brother. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> so that was definitely it definitely is a uh, sad that we started on a lie but it's okay we redeemed i redeemed cooper myself, likes hopefully. that story
1: i'm assuming that's pretty funny no i don't know um okay so y'all y'all meet and how long have you been married so together, get married 11 years or it's not been that long no right? I don't know. no we got married
0: in 2018 so almost four years
1: Almost four years, okay. Mm -hmm. And then a couple years in, you get pregnant with Walker, right? And when was he born? Uh,
0: June 4th of 21, so June 3rd of 21. (laughs) Cole. (laughs) I know. When I'm at the line (laughs) to pick up his prescriptions, they're like, what's the last name? And I'm like, you know, Hicks and like date of birth. And I'm always like, is it the third or the fourth? And I wasn't blessed with a memory, a good memory.
1: See, I've got a good excuse for this one, because I have two kids that are born back to back, April wow. 7th and 8th. Oh, wow. Yeah, and who, Who's I have, who? Well, I have to remember it, because it's their birth order. So Zoe is my oldest, so she was first. So she's seventh, and then the youngest is go. next. So that's how I remember. But I still have to do the same thing. You don't have any excuses, but regardless, well, wow. wow. regardless, Walker's born. Yes. And tell us a little about what it was like being a parent and welcoming your first son and just all the stuff that comes along with that. That's a big life change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, for me, it was easy.
2: <laughs> just showed up. Yeah.
0: I didn't have to, you know, I was there to support my wife. Obviously, this is my first go round, And, and um, you know, in my mind, I was supporting my wife the right way of checking on her and, and uh, making sure she was doing okay. Um and then you know, we're headed to the um, you know, what's it called? Uh induction. Yeah. Walker, I mean Lindsay was induced oh, on yes. <laughs> yes. Uh Lindsay was induced uh to have Walker, so we had a pretty good idea when he was coming and um, you know, pretty excited but for it all. And then, you know, Lindsay started, you know, pushing and what was it, ten minutes later Walker was out? Mm-hmm. I was like Man, that was easy. Like I just kind of had to stand here and then uh, you know, not having to breastfeed or anything like that. Yeah. You know, so, so on once side, again,
1: I'm going to Lindsay
3: for the yes, real story. <laughs> there you go. There you go.
2: So, um, you know, a woman has the 9 months to really prepare. You no, know, just feeling all the changes in her body. I think we're just made very well aware of what's going on. And so I think there's definitely grace to be had for men who it's just not this. They don't get the evidence consistently. Um, but Cole has always been naturally a a baby guy. So he just took to fatherhood really quickly and really well. And, um, for me it was definitely just pure bliss at first. Um, and just so sweet getting to hold this baby that my body worked so hard for. Um, pregnancy was not easy on me and, um, so that was a beautiful thing. I, and what's interesting is, um, a lot of women get the, um, baby blues at first and postpartum and all that. And that's very common. And I didn't until a little later on when I got a little more restless and I wasn't prepared for that. So I don't know how, you know, normal, I'm sure that is normal too. But, um, anyways, I just, I think it's kind of interesting just learning about how everyone's story is just so different. And, um, but yeah, Cole, Cole still got his sleep. I made sure to get him melatonin right off the bat because I was about to have two babies. <laughs> he uh, doesn't do well with uh, lack of sleep, so.
0: Yeah, God put us together for a reason. <laughs> Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay does really good with little amount of sleep. I, I need my sleep.
1: Well, he did put you together for a reason. In all seriousness, it's a great line because we're going to get into a little bit about Walker's story, which is y'all's story. It's your family's story but you two have a unique experience and I think unique temperaments to be with one another through what you've been through with Walker. So uh start tell us what happened. So Walker had an an accident unforeseen. He was just a little guy. What was the the date that that happened? October 27th. October 27th. Coming so up on a year. It's really wow, almost a year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, it'll be after a year by the time this comes out. That's mm, true. So, yeah. Uh so October twenty-seventh. Guys, talk me through that morning. What happens?
2: So I um so this actually happened um in the evening or afternoon. Um I had dropped Rocker off at um daycare that morning and um which I had a weird feeling, but didn't think anything of it. But I had a meeting after school, and um, so I had that meeting, and then I was helping out with someone with something, and then I saw that I had um, a message, and then I was getting a call, and um, something was not right with Walker. Um, and I wasn't given much details then, but I was just told, come quick, I don't know, he- if he's, I I don't know. Like, and so I called Cole and, um, and he said, I'm sure it's fine. You know, it's one of those things where like, it could be something, a fluke thing, like, Oh, you know, people might freak out, especially when it's not their child. Um, but I'm sure it's fine. And so anyways, I, I, I pulled up to the house and when I walked in, there were other parents around and, um, I saw Walker being held and he was just limp. I just, I've been thinking about that lately, just seeing how big and strong he is now. And, but looking back and thinking about how tiny and fragile and limp he was. And so essentially what had happened, um, when I got more details was that he was being strapped in his car seat when, um, a toddler came and pulled the string down and it fell on top of him onto the ground. And from the looks, he was perfectly fine. He looked, there was no evidence on his body of an injury. Um, but he just was acting lethargic and tired. And so I was like, I don't know, maybe, I mean, it could have hurt. And it just, he's just really tired now. He, often was tired after daycare. So I was like, I don't know how to read this, but, um, yeah, let's, let's get the EMS. Like, I don't know, like I want them to EMS or EMT.
1: That's a good question. I always forget. I don't know. The ambulance. The ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: A lot of memory get, went away with, uh, it was, was taken place, of or trauma took place of a lot of my memory anyways. Um, so they, um, got there and
0: so I'm, I'm showing up from work. Lindsay calls me. I'm on my way home. And like Lindsay said, you know, I'm everything should be fine. Like it was just, you know, overreaction to, you know, this is someone else's baby. Um, and so in my mind, everything's just totally fine, you know? And, um, so I, I, I don't hear from Lindsay. So I call her again and saying, you know, hey, is everything okay? She says, you know, you need to get here. And I don't even know where here is. Um, you know, Lindsay always dropped Walker off on the way to school. The, you know, it was a home daycare and, and um, Lindsay always dropped him off uh, and picked him up. So I said, you know, send me the dress, you know, first of all, so I can get there. And yeah, I felt like I was just in, you know, straight tunnel vision trying to, uh, you know, get to this house. I hear the sirens going off. I'm literally following the ambulance there and show up as um you know the you know as they're getting out, I'm walking in right behind them. And I watch them, you know, Walker's laying on the couch sprawled out, uh his eyes are closed, um, just lifeless. And Not I watched
2: lifeless, but he looked <laughs> yes, essentially that looked, way.
0: Looked lifeless. I mean, he wasn't moving. Um so I watched the um You know, the uh, EMS, you know, open his eyes and look at it with a flashlight and saw no reaction towards the light at all. And he immediately put the uh, flashlight pin that he had right back into his front pocket and said, we need to call Lifelight." And so I I knew immediately that this was very serious. And.
2: um, See him. For me, I, I honestly was holding my composure pretty well up until that point too. Of, I honestly was, the ladies were kind of freaking out more than I was. And so it was like, let's just, let's pray. It'll be okay. But whenever they started carting them off and cold finally came, I think it was when I was able to kind of release. Because I saw, the big evidence for me was that I saw eyes going into different directions and pupils were two different dilations.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. So... You know, very scary moment. We see our, you know, not even five month old baby get put on this big stretcher and is getting carted out of the house and put into the back of an ambulance as they're waiting for, um, life light to come. Lindsay and I are standing in the yard, you know, holding one another, just, you know, don't even know what to think. Um, you're just scared. Um, and, and, it was just a nightmare. You know, we got the phone call. No one wants to hear, you know, no one wants to
1: get and. Mm. So they life flight Walker Mm -hmm. and y'all drive, Mm -hmm. go to the hospital, Mm -hmm. walk us through what happens when you actually get to the hospital, they start treating him and everything that follows.
0: So, when we showed up, um you know we're fighting first of all, fighting five o'clock, six o'clock traffic to get to downtown um is stressful as well, and you know, wondering
1: Sorry, that's all good. Should you start over? Start over answering that question.
0: Okay, so we're fighting five o'clock traffic. Um, to get to downtown, to get to Memorial Hermann. And um, doctors are calling us for, um, you know, permission to, um, you know, operate on our son, since he's a minor, and calling for our, you know, verbal commitment that they can operate on on our son, on Walker. And by the time we got there, we kind of figured out where we needed to go. Walker was, um, I guess, admitted as a... Uh,
1: alias, yeah, alias, because um, they didn't know his name. Right. He just showed up. Yeah, yeah.
0: So admitted as an alias, and we were able to uh, just bypass security. Um, you know, we had to answer the COVID stuff that was all going on there. There, and um, we were met with a chaplain and a, uh, child, uh, life a child life specialist. Child life specialist. Um, so red flags are still going off. You know, you get met with the, with the chaplain right away. Um, you know, you already knew it's serious and now it's real serious. Uh, we were able to see Walker again in just this huge bed, little kid. Um, and there's probably 15. 15- Four month
2: old baby. I don't know if we ever stated that. Yeah, I did. yeah just okay. a little Bye-bye.
0: guy. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah, about 20 people in this room standing around Walker, um, and just doing all different kinds of things. And, and uh, we asked if we could go in to, to see him and they wouldn't allow us to touch him. How come? Because most kids that go in into a scenario like this with a, with a head injury, um, most of the time it's because of uh, abuse that we learned. So we well, are technically criminal suspects at this point.
2: Right. It was more so just because the unknown, it's just precaution. Mm-hmm. But it definitely stinks <laughs> whenever we can't um, feel like we're really, I don't know, just being suspects for our own child's case definitely was, was rough. But we also didn't want to hold them back from surgery. So we were like, look, just get him in there. We don't want to hold you back. Like, just just do what you need to do. And we came out and they were starting to explain things to us and started getting kind of graphic and, um, very real. And so I had to walk away at one point cause I was like, I don't, I can't hear all this. Um, and then I, we saw him, we were just holding each other and we saw him being carted off this little baby in this big stretcher.
0: So at this point they've let us know that they believe there's a brain bleed. Uh, they're going to have to take him back and do emergency surgery to, uh, remove part of his skull, um, to relieve pressure, um, you know, for his brain to be swelling. And, and that's kind of all we knew up to that point. Um, we were taken from there, uh, being the emergency entrance up to uh, pediatric, uh, ICU, PICU, um, where it was just Lindsay and I up there, um, You know, we're still under COVID protocol at this point. Any visitors that were there had to have left by now. So Lindsay and I are in a waiting room by ourselves, um, have zero answers.
1: Um,
2: We've never heard of anything like what had happened to him. So we just had no context.
1: And you're all alone for at least a little bit, it sounds. Mm -hmm. I mean, so if you don't mind me asking, you don't have to answer, but what are those moments like between you two and what what's being said or or not said
0: i think there was a lot of shock at this point Mm -hmm. and thinking back you know it's the mental battle of as a husband being there for your wife and then trying to understand this yourself um and you know we spent time in prayer with one another um just quite a bit of silence, just wondering what, you know, the heck's going on. And, and even just kind of taking in what's um, what's happening right now. Uh, a lot of probably mile long stares from both of us for, yeah, for a while. That's what
2: I remember. That's the majority of what I remember is just sitting and staring off and just not knowing what to do because we couldn't do anything. And um just just waiting and i think i still hadn't quite let it sink in um how critical of a um just how bad off he was i was still holding on to the hope that doctors take everything seriously they're going to you know or they're going to see the worst case scenario to be be, be prepared and so i just was trying to have a somewhat of an optimistic view Still, I was trying to hold on to it a little bit, but still, it's also like, what what do we do?
1: (laughs) So when do you hear from the doctors and get a prognosis and a report of what's actually happened and how the surgery is going or went? And just when do you know what's really happening with with Walker? So I'll
0: back up a little bit before all that. So my parents know what's going on, her parents know what's going on, and no one's allowed in the building because of COVID protocol. So I said, you know, in my mind, I was like, hey, my dad's a pastor. I think we can get him in here. Um, so he, my dad's not my pastor, but I, I, I might have told a little he's white lie. <laughs> yeah, he's a pastor. So I said, hey, my dad's a pastor. You know, can can he be in here with us? Um, so we were able to get him in, um, you know, probably, we've probably been there for an hour and a half at this point. It's six thirty-seven.
2: That's when that started the surgery yes Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. but having my dad yes yeah so we hear absolutely nothing until yeah nine or ten really really
1: oh my gosh those hours had to be long Mm -hmm.
0: they were very long and um again just a lot of silence a lot of um mile-long stares a lot of just your mind can go to some very dark places and into and, and the worst case scenario in moments like this. And, and um, my dad was just, you know, praying with us and quoting scripture. And um, I think I don't want to speak for both of us, but I think we're both very numb at this point um, in the evening.
2: I would say the numbness really hit though when they came to give the prognosis because they came in and said, It's not looking good. It's, we've been working really hard with him and he's just, he wasn't stable. Um, they were trying to be as gracious with their words as possible and not overloading us with information. But things we found out later were it was that. Um, Well, they probably were – I'm sure they did tell us this at the time, but this is when I went into shock, was when when we were officially hearing bad news. Um, They were saying that – they told us that he had had a few strokes. Um, They were doing CPR on him during surgery. We later found out that Dr. Fletcher did CPR on him in surgery, which – I was told they had never seen him do these people were fighting for his life. They were bagging him, trying to help him breathe. Um, he was losing a lot of blood and so they just couldn't get him stable. And so, um, it just they at that point they weren't done, but they were, they were trying to keep him together while they were wrapping it up.
0: So that's the first news we, we have. And they said that they would come back, you know, when they hadn't, more to give us. So probably another hour and a half went by and uh, Dr. Scully came out and, uh, said, nothing's really changed. Everything's still, um, That's, you know. is that
2: when they, he finally was taken up to the PICU?
0: Yes. So Dr. Scully came in whenever he was taken up to the PICU, uh, Dr. Scully was the, uh, the head doctor on, uh, on the floor in the PICU, um, that eat- that night. Um, so he, again, just kind of the same news, you know, Walker's finally out of surgery and up here and, and we're trying to get him stable. Uh, we're not able to hick him, uh, hook him up to a ventilator. Um, no, he said the ventilator is not working. And in my head I said, well, go get one that works. (laughs) And so I said that, you know, and he said, sorry, we can't get him hooked up to a ventilator because his lungs are so full of fluid. Um, that it's it's just rejecting, so we're having to still continue to
1: hand-breathe for him. Mm. Between and
2: aspirating and getting pumped with fluid, his, that's what happened. So
1: somebody's standing there bagging, mm-hmm. breathing for him mm-hmm. manually for hours mm-hmm. since so he they, got they there.
2: they traded off. Wow. One person did it, I heard, for 80 minutes. Um, that's at least they were like, I don't know. It was yeah.
0: a lot. I know Dr. Fletcher did. um Chest compressions yes. for 42 minutes. Oh, yeah. Wow. And honestly,
2: we could even be having some of these numbers wrong. If someone from the team listened to this later, they'd be like, no. Pick a- but we have the general idea. because. <laughs> but th- through, through it being hard to hear about all of this happening to our son, this is what we remember.
0: <laughs> so D- Dr. Scully's now asked us to move into the serenity room, I believe it was called.
2: N- Tranquility.
0: Tranquility room. Um, so
2: I didn't even want to walk back there cause I knew what it meant.
0: Yeah. Um, so Lindsay, my dad, myself, Dr. Scully, and a chaplain that was kind of been there with us, uh, all went into this room and, and, um, pretty much told us that we've, good things don't normally come out of situations like this. You know, we don't really see your son improving. Uh, we can continue to try to do what we're, what we've been doing. Um, but you guys have to make a decision. Do, do we, do we trust Jesus in this moment and let him go, go home to him? Or do we continue to spin our wheels and, and knowing that our son's in pain? Um, you know it was it was just a a decision that I never thought in my entire life that we would have to talk about,
1: so how did you two make that decision in that moment?
2: You know, I think it's something that was just we had i mean we took our moment and they left the room and but I think it was something that was clear to both of us, and I think it it was just. No matter what that looked like, it was giving our son to the Lord and knowing he was ultimately in control. And whatever we do at that point, um, we didn't want to fight. Like like Cole said, we didn't want to fight more on Little Walker's body to do more damage, irreparable damage. um, And this is where this, this this kind of, this right here, this part of conversation is really hard to have because it can sound like, oh my gosh, y'all didn't fight for your son. You didn't, you know, you didn't have faith enough that he would live. And no, it was the Lord gave us peace to say, God have your will, (laughs) as hard as that is to say, because we know your will is better and that you can restore him. Um, So, again, this is something that's hard to talk about because it can be taken wrong, wrongly Um, because we wanted more than anything for our son to survive. But seeing all that the medical staff had done already and seeing the state that he was still in, Um, we just felt, we both felt at peace with, with writing it out at that moment, um, and letting him, giving him the, the fighting chance to at least get stable, but to not do any further, um, damage to not do anything else further to him at that point, So that's when, you know, you, you have the choice of, um, of choosing to not, you know, if, if it comes down to it, are we going to resuscitate or not? And they just let us know kind of the possibilities of what that could do. Um, if, you know, and, and some people who have been in somewhat similar situations, and you know they they continued to say no resuscitate, resuscitate, resuscitate um you know that was that was what was on their heart and um what decision they felt was best for them to make. This was just the decision that we felt at peace about together, and I don't know if if that makes sense, but um it was it was just something we felt unified in.
1: So when does Walker start to make some improvement, you know, so it's, it's dire now, but.
2: Well, so it actually, it got worse before. Well, it didn't get worse, but it, it.
0: So when we, after we made the decision and talked with the doctors, we asked if we can go see Walker and, um, and my dad said, prepare your heart and mind, Cole and Lindsay, for what you're about to see, because it's not your sweet little boy. Um, and he was so right. When we went back and, and finally got to see Walker again, just a room full of people, they were still bagging him at this point, and And um, I think Dr. Scully had kind of let them know what decision we had come to. Um, and I'm thinking at this point, I'm about to watch my son die right in front of me. And, um, so I asked, I said, are we going to do, you know, is this happening right now? He said, no, legally, um, you know, we can't stop until around four o'clock in the morning because of the medicines that he's on. Um, you know, he's, um, you know, on pain meds and, and, um, and just he was sedated. Yes. Yeah, sed- sedations is the word I was thinking of. Um, so this is probably midnight, one in the morning at this point that we finally got to go in. So I'm like, okay, four o'clock in the morning. I've just kind of had that ingrained in my mind that this is the, you know, I've got three hours left, you know, with a living son. Um, and I'm not sure at what time, but they finally got the ventilator hooked up. There was enough fluid that had come out of his lungs that a ventilator was starting to um, be effective. And it was on the highest setting with the highest amount of pressure and oxygen being pumped into uh, you know, his lungs to breathe for him. Um, and... my family was able to come in and say goodbye to, you know, they, they were able to, you know, get away from the COVID protocol. It
2: was one at a time though.
0: Yeah. Uh, so everyone in my family was able to come in and say goodbye to Walker. Everyone in Lindsay's family was able to come by and, and say goodbye to Walker. And, uh, I am emotionally and physically, um, mentally just d- drained at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Lindsay was the same way. Um, mm-hmm. and, I admired Lindsay for this because I feel like I couldn't even stand any longer. And I feel guilty about that sometimes knowing that my son, you know, is I'm watching him, you know, die pretty much. And and Lindsay is just standing over him, just worshiping and praying and, um, you know, just glorifying God in that moment. um, with with faith and hope, even though we were giving no hope. Um, and I I really admire Lindsay for that. Um, just just seeing her, um, you know, hover over our son.
2: I'll have to say the flip side of that though too. There was the other side of me that, um, I mean that that was me, reaching out for help and for hope. But also at the same time, I was almost close. I was almost already um, kind of resoluting in my mind what was happening in preparation. Um, but it's just so crazy and so weird what happens to you in times of trauma. Um, I definitely shut down and couldn't even really talk to our families. But essentially, we were saying bye, and the child life specialists were coming in and having things made for Walker. Um, they had his hand and feet um, prints made and then they um they ha- recorded his heartbeat and put it in stuffed animals for us um and that was kind of gosh it just hit that this is the last time we're going to hear his heartbeat um so that was they were they were not even saying any of those things they were just saying if you just want a keepsake but Um, so, but also later on, I spoke with, we still stayed in contact with his nurse from that night and she was just like, Lindsay, you have no idea. We had all of the right staff on that night and we were prepared for him. So just, she witnessed, I guess I'm kind of moving ahead too, because we didn't anyways. Um, but she, she just was stating how, um, Everything was kind of, it was just in place and coming together for him.
0: Yeah, so get, get back to your question. It's probably around three o'clock in the morning that um, the first signs of hope that we see, yeah, now that he's hooked up to the ventilator, whenever Walker breathes by himself, not th- not the ventilator breathing for him, it registers on machine and you can see that walker took a breath and so the nurse is the first one that caught it because we don't know what the heck we're looking at in these in these degum machines and and uh so she says you know he just breathed on his own and it was very you know faint and light um and so i was like you know i'm still in my mind four or four o'clock four o'clock you know that's whenever you know, we're going to see our, my son pass away. You're going to see Walker pass away. And then he started moving his right hand ever so slightly just to twitch. And...
2: His color started coming back to his skin. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like all in those last moments.
0: Yes. So the doctor comes in and we're telling him these things. You know, he's kind of breathing over the ventilator and his skin color's coming back. And he's kind of moving his right hand a little bit. And uh, our nurse, Ashley you know, who's Walker's biggest ad, advocate, you know, just was like, you know, Dr. Scully, this is a different kid than I, yeah, than the one that came in. And um, so my, pff, hair on my arms are standing up right now, you know, going back through this. So my jaw's on the ground at this point, like after, you know, hearing kind of what's going on and I'm I'm interested to see what this doctor's going to say, and, and, um, he says, you know, okay, then let's, let's see where this goes. Let's see where this takes us. And, and, uh, you know, he's still not stable by any means, um, still in a very critical state. Um, but so about an hour before we thought it was all said and done,
1: um, life started coming back to Walker. Well, I think it'd be easy for people to listen at this point and think okay, he was he was hurt and then he got some treatment and then he started to show signs of improvement. That's what you'd think and this was tragic and difficult, but medicine's really amazing. And uh I had the privilege of getting to interview one of the doctors that was treating Walker that night. You mentioned him earlier. It's Dr. Fletcher. And for our listeners' sake, I want to tell you just a little bit about Dr. Fletcher because he's not just any doctor. Currently, he's associate professor in the Department of Pediatric Surgery at McGovern Medical School. But uh, in his practice, which he began in 1980... He was formerly the Chief of Surgery at Kingwood Medical Center, the Chief of Pediatric Neurosurgery at Children's Memorial Hermann Hospital, and Director of Pediatric Neurosurgery at McGovern Medical School. It's hard to find somebody with more experience than Dr. Fletcher to be treating your son. When I interviewed him, uh, this is what he said about Walker's case and his medical and personal opinion about what's happened with Walker. I would love for you to listen to his take on this evening and get your response to what he said. So you were involved um, with Walker and this surgery that he has and can you walk us through a little bit of what happened and, and honestly the the severity of that surgery and then and what you had to do during it?
3: Well, this is uh, basically a case of a dead patient that was taken to the operating room, literally. His particular circumstance was when the call went out. Everybody knew he was bad. Uh, The anesthesiologist went down to see him. He was uh, uh, in the process of getting a tube put in. Uh, His blood pressure was low. By the time he had his CAT scan and was on the way to the operating room, he was not with a very good blood pressure. So uh, resuscitation process started with a cardiopulmonary resuscitation, Um, a bunch of people taking him up to the operating room. So I was pessimistic when you are waiting in the operating room, see a little baby or a little kid come in, they're pushing on his chest. Yeah, you're thinking, sometimes you're thinking, uh, what am I doing here? But um, that's what we do. And fortunately, it's not all good medical care. So uh, will of God, hand of God, um, uh, whoever's listening, they can believe what they want to believe. I know what I believe. So um, I've had too many of these cases that should have died. So that's... That's how this young man got to the operating room. Uh, We kept uh, working on him. Uh, He had a a big brain surgery. Um, uh, I took a break uh, before we even started and helped do CPR on him. Um, A variety of people kept coming in. I mean, pretty much they were pushing on his chest during most of the case. I think they finally got him stabilized after we uh, were starting to finish up.
1: I think what I'm most interested in hearing from you is in with all of your experience, why you would say that there was something special going on with, with Walker and what makes you say there's something more that God may have been involved. Um, yeah. What, what points that direction for you?
3: Everybody that, uh, has seen that young, youngster, uh, marvels at how well he's doing i don't care what anybody's argument is uh that's not position deal that's the hand of god that's uh you hear that term a god thing and this is truly god's will there's something uh that's really going to be fantastic with this kid and his family and uh the people associated with that um i mean i just uh, believe that with all my heart if the walker hicks story changes the life of one person, then it will uh, be a great thing. And if me talking about Walker Hicks's medical issue convinces someone listening that things are out of their control, they're in God's control, all they have to do is search. And that search is pretty easy. You don't need to spend any money on it. You don't even need to know how to read All you have to do is open your mind, open your heart. And for those that say, well, I don't have time to do that today. I'll do it some other time. I would say today's a real good day to start your journey on uh, accepting that there's a higher authority, God, and that um, if you'll just believe in that, you can start the process right
1: now. One of the things that I was told was that his brain scans, like when he came in and your initial thoughts about his you know, potential for recovery versus where his his scans are and how well he's doing now, um, I don't even know if I'm asking the question right, but can you talk us through a little bit about just medically what was going on with his brain and why there was pessimism and why it's so amazing that he's doing so well now?
3: So he had a, uh, um, his head injury was such that there was a big blood clot that needed to be removed. It was causing pressure in the brain. It was pushing the brain to one side. And so if that's left untreated, eventually um, the pressure inside the head becomes so high that blood can't get to the brain, the brain, the patient will die brain, brain will quit functioning. So he was taken to operating room where we, uh, removed half of his skull and removed the big blood clot. And then, uh, we left, uh, the bone off so that the brain could swell. And hopefully that we could give him drugs that would, um, control the swelling. So, yeah, if you look at statistics of patients that, need to have that operation. Uh the literature is pretty pessimistic about their long-term outcome. If you took a video of him and showed a person like a neurosurgeon, well, if you took his CAT scan and showed a neurosurgeon and said, well, what do you think about this patient? Every neurosurgeon would look at that and say, this is a patient that's either going to die or going to have a bad outcome. And they probably will not wake up. And then if you show them uh, a video of the patient, they'll say, well, that's, that's an unusual outcome. And they would be surprised. So that's why, that's why, you know, again, that's why you don't uh, treat a statistic. That's why you don't uh, look at a CAT scan down emergency room, say nothing to do here. You, if there's a chance of helping them, then uh, we should help them and do everything we can.
1: Cole, Lindsay. So we're we're back to live here. When you hear Doctor Fletcher, what goes through your mind?
3: First
0: of all, I love Doctor Fletcher. You know, he was he's such a good man and has been very open and honest with us um, through this whole process, and uh, a very humble man. That dude will not take a compliment. He will cut you off before you finish, you know, <laughs> giving him you know attaboys and and um, just hearing his perspective of it all. And I th- I feel like every time we we dig into the you know details, yeah, the details and the miracle of Walker, new things come up every time, um, and I'm always interested to hear because. Um, I I like hearing new things about about just our son and, and, and the experience, but um, knowing that we had the right guy f- for the job, like he read, you know, kind of gave his resume before, and knowing that, um, you know, Walker was in good hands in there, not even knowing who the heck is operating on our son and spending all that time of just waiting and um, just the unknown. um, I'm just very grateful for um, Mm. Dr. Fletcher.
2: I think the big thing that stuck out to me and that has been the biggest lesson for me is that when he said about how no one is in control except for God, and how the sooner we i'm paraphrasing taking my understanding from it but the sooner we figure that out the better off we are more better off we are and so that was really what we felt through all of this and and the journey of recovery after was just clearly we had no control here so what are we going to do about that um and that's where we had to lean on who did have control and that gave us a far greater peace and it wasn't dr fletcher it wasn't any of the other medical staff it was it was god and completely
1: so let's kind of pivot to this part because i really want to spend some time here unpacking what's happened in Mm -hmm. the last about a year or so and your reflections and i've i've got some questions about walker's journey and and we could spend we could spend so much time talking about mm-hmm. just him in the hospital mm-hmm. for 3 months or 2 months a long time i mean long you enough. guys dealt with mm-hmm. a, there was a lot of ups and downs and uh, a whole lot of us were praying for you and for walker every day and getting updates and and there's so much that that happened that uh, maybe we can talk about at some other point down down the road. but before we get to the the lessons, people might have heard Walker in the background bike <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <'Cause> so <if> you're <laughs> if you're a kid running around and screaming and yelling, that's a uh, little Walker, and I thought, you know that's kind of cool. Let's just leave him in there. So mm-hmm. that's him. so he's he's doing considerably well mm-hmm. today. Would you give us a quick update? How's he doing now, and then what we'll kind of unpack what you guys have learned in the last year or so? Okay?
2: Well, he um was diagni- diagnosed with cerebral palsy and which is was something we were not familiar with. So he has a um muscle tone weakness. he or most he has a lack of control of his muscle tone and which makes it hard to um to move and so he was diagnosed as a quadriplegic with weakness in all four limbs, but he's already moving toward a hemiplegic, which means just hit his left side. Um, so he's already, he's making strides going from the state that we were just talking about that he was in to, just a slow progress over the year. He is now a very happy baby loves to goggle and giggle and laugh and play. He's so social. And, um, I just think he's a really a people person. He just loves people and interaction. And, um, for a long time there, he was, I mean, understandably a very upset, angry, fussy baby. He had to wean off drugs. He had to, his brain had to heal. Um, And he had to do a lot of intensive therapy. He went to inpatient rehab. And um, so, you know, like talking in my Bible study last night, um, just giving an update about how he's doing, um, you know, I could be focusing on the negative of what he's not able to do still. But I just chose to really be focusing on what he can do. He can crawl now. It doesn't look right, but he can crawl and he can sit up on his own and he can get back down on the floor on his own. So we're just really um, grateful for that progress and just continuing to um, try to focus on, on all of those those milestones that he's making, because they are huge when we look at where he came from.
1: So I want to ask you both about your faith journey through this, and this really is directed to both of you, and I'll preface it by saying this, the type of the type of experience that you've been through with Walker is the kind of thing that makes a lot of people, if they had faith, abandon it, and people who haven't been through a trauma like what y'all have been through and what Walker's been through, just observing from the outside, it makes people think... Well, if God's in charge of this world where He'd let something like that happen, mm-hmm. I'm not really that interested in uh, being part of what that God's up to and And so it's a reason for abandoning, exploring faith or even being interested in it. And so you've mentioned your your faith in a real positive way so far today and and I would love to hear your your thoughts, your journey with God and what that's been like mm-hmm. in the months following Walker's mm-hmm. accident. So, <clears throat> I wrestle with
0: this, um, I think, as any believer or unbeliever would. There's times where I shake my fist and I grit my teeth and think, you know, why would this happen to my son? Um, you know, just uh, the sweetest, happiest little boy. You know, how how could uh, something so tragic happen. And, um, I wrestle with that at times, you know, I wanted a son that I could, yeah, again, I don't know what the heck's going to happen here, but, uh, you know, just in my own thinking, selfish thinking, I want a son who, you know, thrives in sports and a son that, um, yeah, I could play catch with or whatever, you know, anything that I've, you know, just envisioned of having a boy that I was just, you know, so thrilled to have and, and so grateful to have and and um so thinking just very worldly things and and um whenever people would reach out to me and say, you know, this is a story like this has made my faith stronger, or um, you know, this brought me back to Christ. And in my mind I would think very sarcastically, good for you. You know, I'm I'm so thankful that my son had to suffer through all this, so uh, a God who's already revealed himself in so many different ways could, um, you know, just just show you that. And and for about a nanosecond, I thought that, and, and then I was like, what the heck am I thinking? You know, can my son really bring others closer to God and, you know, closer in their faith? Like, how amazing is that, you know, it's the stories that we read about in the Bible— you know when jesus is going around healing everyone and showing how great and mighty he is um you know we live through the stories that we've been read you know reading about and um so in a way my faith is stronger through this and i still battle with things mentally very openly um so i don't know if i'll ever know why this happened um in this life, um, very thankful to still have my son. Um, would things be different if I lost my son? I'd like to think that no, I think that I would still declare, you know, God, the Lord of Lords and, and, um, and I'm his, I'm a servant. That's
2: good. Um, I think that it's definitely important to account for the valleys that we went through. Um, and you mentioned we're how we were speaking on the positives um, that um, have come from this, and I never want to ever paint a incorrect picture that this came easy for us, <laughs> because obviously, I mean, it, it truly did not. But the most incredible thing, besides seeing the actual miracle and wonders that were happening in our son, was the strength that the Lord provided for us because we didn't have it. It was because it was literally day by day, every day, him providing just enough to get through that day. And when Cole had to go back to work and I was still in the hospital, those days were long. They were lonely. They were hard. When we came back from the hospital, it was a whole adjustment, um, a culture shock, and, um, going from having, being surrounded by people constantly to being completely alone with my son who still didn't have his skull back on, he had his skin over his head, but he was not comp- his skull wasn't, his brain was not completely protected. So, and it, it was just the whole, um, coming to the realization and understanding I have now have, I had a healthy son and now I have a son who has special needs, um, so there was a whole grieving process of of the healthy baby boy that we had. Um, there was a processing of what could have happened. There was a processing of what did happen. And for me, Cole and I, it's interesting how we handled it a little differently. Like Cole said, he was open about his emotions. I struggled. I was numb. I struggled with that. I just felt like I had to get through and I had to just focus on what was ahead of me. And so there was a point when I realized, okay, I'm not doing well. Um you know, like I trust and believe that God has been with us and, and doing, I've, I've seen all that he's done and I believe it, but I'm still weak and I need help. And, um, and so that's where I had to lean a lot more heavily on community. And, um, I went to counseling. I went to, um, at first I was weary of it cause it's hard to open up to people who, have not been in your shoes and your position. And so it takes a lot of energy, especially when um, I was working through physical therapy with my son every day and just trying to get by. Um, but I went to biblical counseling and, um, it was challenging, but it was good to hash everything out. Um, it was very healthy and needed. And on top of that, just being real with my friends. And, um, so through, through all of it, my, my faith has grown definitely stronger. Um, and it has, because this is one of those challenges of if something happens to you, can you still proclaim that God is God? And absolutely. But did I also have those hard, dark moments of really being sad for our situation? Absolutely. Um, but we're coming up on a year since the accident. And I feel that Cole and I are through this journey healthier. Um, but it's also because we had to deal with the hard stuff. We we couldn't just ignore it and push it aside and suppress it. We had to deal with it and dig in. And um, we will continue to have to, especially when Walker has challenges, when he's maybe not doing the same things as his peers. And you know, we're, we're going to have those moments. And so I think a lot of it too, is learning to have grace for ourselves and not compare. Um, everyone has their own crap. They've got, everyone's got stuff. Everyone has a past. There's times that I had a hard time with comparison and, um, hearing about other people's problems. Um, but I, I really had to, um, I had to just work with myself through that and seeing that that doesn't make it their problems any less real um and i also don't know maybe they have been through something just as challenging so anyways there is just a lot of you know the up and down battles but through it all i think we here we are almost a year later and we are we are making it
1: <sighs> well it's first of all thank you for being So honest, because I think that's something that is critical in these kind of conversations, especially when we have them publicly. And the the fact is, life is messy and hard, and that's true for people whether they follow Jesus and would Mm -hmm. proclaim that way or Mm -hmm. or they don't. We're all dealing with with things that come our way that aren't planned that are that are hard. And one of the things that's attractive about following jesus is when you study what he said and what's Mm -hmm. in the bible it presents life that way Mm -hmm. it talks about things the way they really are go Mm. read what are called the imprecatory psalms which is that's my five dollar word for the podcast (laughs) But it's the Psalms that are in the Old Testament where people mm-hmm. are the the writers wrote and they're just spewing all mm-hmm. this stuff that mm-hmm. like a lot of people say I probably shouldn't say that to God, <laughs> yeah. right? It's in the right? Bible. Like, you know, is, the Bible. are
2: they going to get struck down?
1: And but it's in, it's important and and Job the, and Job and and there's very there's many examples That's why Christianity is so appealing because it it speaks to the reality of mm-hmm. the things that you just shared. It doesn't hide them or try to Mm-mm. gloss them over or say they're they're not mm-hmm. real. They're real. Mm-hmm. And but God cares mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. you through it. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate the way that you just talked about that. Cole, uh, I hope this is okay for me to share, but I wanted to relay my thoughts about really you that are going to lead to probably the last question I've got for you mm-hmm. both. But and I can edit this out if you don't want me to say this. But your dad told me this, and I wanted to say it on the podcast because I think that the way I've experienced you being around your family for the last year or so, and the way you've led your family with Lindsay and uh, Walker, has really been impressive. Mm-hmm. And your dad told me while you were in the hospital, it might have been the first day when he was up there alone with you two, but he heard you say something to Lindsay to the effect of this isn't going to tear us apart. And that so often happens Mm -hmm. in these kind of 60%, 60%. Yeah. And I wanted to, um, just say how, what an example that was for me, And I hope is to others. And I wanted to ask you two, because you seem like you're doing well together, Mm -hmm. notwithstanding all the hard (laughs) and the stuff you just said, but I can tell y'all have a great connection. And what have you learned about being married through all this that you might want to share a couple lessons or Mm -hmm. takeaways that you maybe wish you knew before this?
0: Lindsay and I have, like I said earlier, we've been together for almost 11 years now. And I feel like I know Lindsay inside and out. Um, and I think that she knows me inside and out. Um, obviously, going through something like we went through. Um, I knew it was going to be tough and. I've learned through my relationship with Lindsay that communication goes a long way. I'm not always the best at it, but being open and honest and talking things out is has been great for our relationship. And I just knew that in that moment that a trial like this isn't going to in Lindsay and Cole i knew that i was going to fight for my wife and i knew that she was going to fight for me i knew that it was going to be you know just a a long hard road of just grief and anger and either finger pointing or whatever just in my in my mind and in the moment i was like you know, Lindsay's still my wife and, and this is the issue we're facing, you know, in this moment. And if, if we're not in this together, then we've lost and, and I don't want to lose Walker and a wife. It was just, it was not going to happen. And, um, so just, I think affirming Lindsay in that, in that moment felt Felt right that I was going to battle through this with her and that, um, you know, I was going to, when we, when we made our vows, that I was going to be with her no matter what. And in that moment, you know, I'm going to stand by my word. I'm going to be with you through this and we're going to get through it. So just... I think just maybe even taking just that stance of, you know, I'm the man of this of this household and the man of this relationship. I gotta, I gotta seize this this moment to say, I'm gonna be there for you.
2: To add to it from my point of view, um, you know, relationships aren't always two-sided and it is still our duty and our choice, even when it isn't two-sided to still press on and fight for the relationship, not just give up because one o- other's slacking or giving up. So like I was saying before that I struggled with um, processing out loud, communicating, um, and being a, a loving, open wife to Cole. And he still fought for our marriage, even when we were in the hospital. He fought for us. He, he, made sure we went on walks and made sure that, um, we were communicating and that was definitely hard to fight for with me when I didn't know how at that point. And so, um, he, he saw the value and importance in that when it is easy. And I think a lot of parents might say, no, that goes on the back burner child, child first and primarily and only right now is important. And so, um, but and Dr. Fletcher even said, about how he talked about how valuable and important it is to feed into our marriage so that we can love and serve Walker well. And, um, he was right. I mean, it's so true. And then we still have our normal married spats, of course, cause we did the other day. And, but Cole, Let's is- talk about that. What was, what was that? About? <laughs> <laughs> but we went on a walk and we talked through it and, you know, the enemy could have used that to make today, this conversation more divisive if we didn't, you know, if if we didn't choose to deal with it. So the enemy's going to try to tear us apart and all of us apart and so that's that's his plan and his scheme and so we have to fight against that.
1: So I said that that was my last question. I have one last question. And this can be a kind of a short answer, okay? But if anybody's listening to this podcast and they are They're interested in God. They're trying to figure out what they believe. They've listened to your whole story. What do you want them to walk away with concerning their faith journey? I'd love to hear from both of you.
2: I um, would just love more than anything for, from this conversation, people to see how great and how big and how loving our God is. Um, It's easy to go through hard times and not see that. But if we are looking for him, searching for him, and longing open-handedly, that's kind of just been the image for me is just through this whole process, I've just had to be open-handed. That's not always easy to do. That's very uncomfortable. But if we are doing that and willing and looking, we – you can see so much of what God is doing in your life, but it's easy too to close that off. So that has been one of my just greatest treasures is being able to see God work through all of this and see how loving and how big he is, but also how out of control I am. Like I said before, and, and you know, as parents, I've just talking with my friends through parenthood, there's so much that we could worry about. There's so much that we can let consume us in anxiety Um, and that's easy to do on a daily basis, but that rids us of our peace and our joy and our ability to parent and love well, it's crippling. And so our greatest defense against that is open-handedly coming, presenting our child, our children, our whatever it is that we're, even if it's not parenthood, um, whatever it is that is your biggest struggle, whatever produces the most anxiety, if we're handing that over to the Lord and giving up control to the one who has ultimate control, there's so much greater peace and a better outcome always that comes from that. Even if it doesn't look how we want it to look, God's plan is bigger and better. It's for the kingdom and for our good. So that is my biggest takeaway is present what you have open handedly to God and you'll see far greater things happen.
0: I would say that, you know, this isn't a a relationship with God is it's a two-way street. You know, you're not just communicating to God. God has mm. the word and and, you know, has everything that Questions: How to be a father? How to live correctly? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how to be a husband? You know, he, he gives you all the information. It's a relationship. You know, I think like with anything, um, there's times where I'm upset with God. You know, I'm you know, love just what it's a relationship, and I think if you view it as as that and not just you know a cookie cutter putting you know, God in a box or putting, Mm uh, you know, relationship with God in a box. It's, it's much more than that. It's much more freeing than that. It's not just Mm -hmm. rules and do's and don'ts. Um, and I would say, you know, it's a, I would challenge you to, um, just dive into it and see what the heck happens. You know, It, it, it's, it's, uh, I don't think it's a it's a for me or for you type of thing. I think it's for everyone. You just have to put in the any relationship. You have to put in the effort. Mm -hmm. So just challenging someone to put in the effort.
2: The answers are there.
1: Well, Cole, your mom gave me this little bunny, not to keep, (laughs) but for this. But this is one of the little rabbits that they gave to uh, you. The night that uh, Walker was in the hospital and they didn't think he would make it. And they recorded his little heartbeat, as you mentioned. And I'm going to see if I can capture it here. So, It's his little heart from the day you thought you might not see him again. And here's what's cool about this little rabbit sitting here on the desk is you don't need it. And I want to thank you for telling us his story and, and your story and being willing to share what God's done through that. Thank you so much for being my guest. Yeah. Thanks, Blaine.
2: Thank you for having us.
1: And I want to thank all of you for listening to The Search Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the others, go ahead and give us a rating or a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. And until next time, thanks for listening.